Injured in a car accident? We cap attorney's fees at 30% of the first million. Any recovery above that is all yours. No recovery, no fees or costs. If another lawyer wants more, lawyer up 904. For accidents, injuries, and more, lawyer up 904. Jacksonville. The sports world keeps spinning, and the local conversation continues. Now, Hacker After Dark on 1010XL. And a very good Tuesday evening to you, Jacksonville. It is Hacker After Dark, 1010XL, 92.5 FM, our late-night show. Are you kidding me? Where else would you rather be than right here, right now, from 10 o'clock to midnight, with Dylan Denmark and yours truly here on Hacker After Dark. We have a ton to do tonight. We are glad you are with us. Boy, a busy day in the National Football League. We got a couple of brand new head coaches. We have a new head coach in the AFC South. And we have a little uh, disagreement between Adam Schefter and Ian Rappaport, which I thought was pretty interesting this afternoon so we will certainly get into all of that let me kind of tell you where we're headed over the next couple of hours in the uh, near future about 25 minutes from now my friend Brent Beard you see him on First Coast News you also get him right here on Hacker After Dark the world of college football never stops remember National Signing Day is tomorrow Now, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, the Wednesday National Signing Day was uh, one of the biggest days on the college football calendar. It is clearly not that any longer because of the December early signing period, but we will discuss National Signing Day tomorrow for those that are unsigned or uncommitted as of yet. We'll also talk a little Florida, a little Florida State, Miami, and Georgia. Stetson Bennett got himself in a little bit of hot water there in the city of Dallas over the uh, weekend. If you missed that story, we'll bring that to you as well coming up with Brent Beard in about 20 minutes or so. Coming up later on in the 10 o'clock hour, Dave Campo, former head coach of the Dallas Cowboys. He's our head coach here on Hacker After Dark as we'll look ahead to the Super Bowl, a little glimpse. We'll certainly look back at the AFC and NFC championship games over the weekend. In the 11 o'clock hour, Brian Tapork of Forbes and Bleacher Report as the association, the National Basketball Association, most teams about 50 games into their regular season, the all-star break on the horizon, the trade deadline on the horizon. So we'll talk a little NBA with Brian Tapork of Forbes and Bleacher Report. And finally, at the bottom of the 11 o'clock hour, the high school spotlight. Two brand new high school football coaches in Northeast Florida will go to West Nassau High School. Their brand new head coach, Gunnar Cox, a former JU Dolphin, takes over that program. And we'll head out to Keystone Heights, where they have a brand new head coach as well. My friend Steve Reynolds takes over the Keystone Heights High School football program. That's the high school spotlight coming up at the bottom of the 11 o'clock hour. But as we always do, to kick it off here on Hacker After Dark, we have a big deal of the night and Dylan Denmark. Let's do that right now. Time now for the big deal of the night. What's the big deal? What is the big deal? deal. It is a big deal. On Hacker After Dark. 
Got some Jaguar stuff, got some NFL stuff. First things first, the Jacksonville Jaguars. Happy birthday to Doug Peterson. 55 years young today for the Jacksonville Jaguar head coach. And how thankful we are that Doug Peterson is the head coach of the Jacksonville Jaguars. Not to belabor this point, not to harp on this point, but it was about this time last year that Doug Peterson was set to be hired as Jacksonville's new head coach. Some people out there were not happy about this. He's a retread. It didn't end well in Philly. Bring Byron Leftwich home. Why are they bringing Doug Peterson here? Whether that was you or not, you would never admit that right now, but you know listening that some of you were saying such things. And Doug Peterson, all he did was completely revolutionize the offense, rejuvenate the organization, and make Jacksonville Jaguar football fun again. We need those caps, teal caps with white writing. Jacksonville Jaguars, where football is fun again. And that's what Doug Peterson did here in Jacksonville. So a very happy birthday to Jaguar head coach Doug Peterson. Happy Pro Bowl to Trevor Lawrence. Trevor Lawrence replacing Patrick Mahomes for the AFC Pro Bowl. The, uh, what is it called, Denmark? The re rejuvenated Pro Bowl games or the reimagined? I think that's what it is. The reimagined yes, with Pro an Bowl S. games. So, with an S. Yeah, Trevor Lawrence will be able to go and play dodgeball. And Trevor Lawrence will go and play capture the flag and whatever else they're going to do out there. And uh, where is I don't even know where it is. Probably where the Super Bowl city is uh, this weekend at the Pro Bowl. But the bottom line is forget about capture the flag for a minute. Forget about dodgeball for a minute. Your quarterback here in Jacksonville is a Pro Bowler. Mark Brunell was a Pro Bowler. I believe David Garrard had a Pro Bowl season here in Jacksonville, but that's been it. That's been it. It's been a long time since the Jaguars can say their quarterback made the Pro Bowl. They can say that now <coughs> with Trevor Lawrence. And this is something that I want to get more into tomorrow night. Just start thinking about it a little bit. Popularity-wise, um, love from Jaguar fans, the admiration that people have for Jaguar players throughout the years. There's a lot of very popular people in this city that played football here at one point. You think of the most popular Jaguars ever. A lot of them will go back to the early to mid-90s. You know, obviously the Mark Brunells, the Fred Taylors, Keenan McCardell, Tony Baselli, Jimmy Smith, Paul Pazlozny was a very popular Jaguar, Rasheen Mathis, Donovan Darius, number 99, Joel Schmengi, obviously all these guys, very, very popular. Maurice Jones-Drew, I mean, I could go on and on. My question to you, and something we'll harp more on tomorrow night, Trevor Lawrence officially has played 36 games in a Jaguar uniform. 36. Is Trevor Lawrence among the top five most popular Jaguars of all time already? Which is amazing to even have that conversation, seeing as how middle point of this year, some people were questioning whether he was a bust or not. 
But Trevor Lawrence can do no wrong in this city right now. He is the generational quarterback that people said that he was. I was wrong about that. I still don't really know what generational means. I just know he's really damn good. So if that's your definition of generational, I'll agree with you. A guy that's really good, a guy that I'm thrilled to death as the quarterback here in Jacksonville, and a guy that I wouldn't trade for almost anybody else in the league, yeah, if that's generational, then fine. I'm on board. He's generational. But where is Trevor already after only 36 games in a Jaguar uniform among the most popular Jaguars ever? More on that tomorrow night. But start thinking about that a little bit. It was a big news day in the National Football League. Sean Payton back in the NFL after one year on the sidelines. Well, I guess one year at Fox Sports, right? Sean Payton, the longtime New Orleans Saints coach, a brilliant football mind, probably destined for Canton, Ohio, one day is back in the National Football League. Now is the head coach of the Denver Broncos. What an absolute disaster it was this past year with Nathaniel Hackett. They trade all those draft picks for Russell Wilson, and absolutely nothing materializes out of that. They were awful. Seattle's reaping the benefits of that. Seattle went to the playoffs, and they have a top five pick because of that Russell Wilson trade. So Seattle's sitting pretty right now. But Sean Payton now with Russell Wilson there in Denver. It's intriguing. I'll use a Frank Frangiism. That's certainly an intriguing thought. Sean Payton and Russell Wilson. Interesting today, though, that the two main media guys when it comes to the National Football League, Adam Schefter and Ian Rappaport, definitely conflicted and disagreeing on what transpired in Denver. If you read Adam Schefter on social media, Denver had pinpointed Sean Payton all along. He was their guy. Ian Rappaport of the NFL Network disagrees with that. He said, as of today, today, Denver tried to flip D'Amico Ryans, who was going to take the Houston job. They tried to convince him to take the Denver job. He said no. Denver was still in conversation with Jim Harbaugh as of this morning. He apparently said no. So then they, quote, circled back to Sean Payton. You very rarely see Adam Schefter and Ian Rappaport in this much of a disagreement as to what happened with a coaching hire of this magnitude. I found it interesting. (laughs) Regardless, Sean Payton, the head coach of the Denver Broncos. D'Amico Ryans, now the brand-new head coach of the Houston Texans. The third different Texan head coach in 24 months. Remember, they went from David Culley to Lovey Smith to now D'Amico Ryans, a former University of Alabama Crimson Tide linebacker, a former Houston Texan linebacker. You just get the feeling, or at least I do, that this is a really good hire. A really good hire. People rave about D'Amico Ryans. You saw what he did as the D coordinator in San Francisco. 
He was fantastic. The question is, though, in today's day and age, the National Football League, when so much emphasis is on quarterback play, on scoring points, on offense, you hire a defensive coach. Now, we've seen people do it. Tennessee did it with Mike Vrabel. New York, the Jets did it with Robert Sala. We did this before the show. Denmark and I went through the 14 playoff teams this year. Of the 14 playoff teams this year, nine of those 14 have what you would consider to be an offensive mind at head coach. Go to the AFC. Andy Reid, Kansas City. He's an offensive coach. Cincinnati, Zach Taylor, offense. Doug Peterson here in Jacksonville, offense. McDaniel, Miami, offense. Those are the four guys in the AFC. In the NFC, Sirianni, McCarthy, Dable, all three in the NFC East are offensive guys. You then have Shanahan, an offensive guy, and O'Connell, an offensive guy in Minnesota. Four defensive guys, and John Harbaugh was a special teams coordinator. So he's kind of the outlier there in Baltimore. But I think that's an interesting sample. 14 playoff teams. Nine have offensive head coaches. Four defensive head coaches. And again, John Harbaugh, who was a special teams guy. So if nine out of 14 are of the offensive variety, that tends to be where people make their hires. You look at Carolina hiring Frank Reich. Offense. You look at Denver hiring Sean Payton, offense. Houston goes the other way. They did it last year. Lovey Smith was a defensive guy. Didn't work out. But you get a feeling D'Amico Ryans is just going to be different. This, to me, smells like Mike Vrabel. This, to me, smells like something maybe Sean McDermott in Buffalo. <laughs> I think D'Amico Ryans is a very good hire for the Houston Texans, and I think it'll take some time but he's going to turn that program around. So you now have D'Amico Ryans in Houston. You got Mike Vrabel in Tennessee. You got Doug Peterson in Jacksonville. Three what I would consider very good head coaches. And you got the Indianapolis Colts. It'll be February the 1st tomorrow, and they still do not have a head coach for the 2023 season. It is a Tuesday night edition of Hacker After Dark. We're glad you're with us with Dylan Denmark. The Hacker, Ryan Green, with you. Let's switch gears to the college game. Florida, Florida State, Miami, Georgia. News on all four of them. It is National Signing Day tomorrow. Let's talk about all of it with Brent Beard. You see him on First Coast News. You also get him right here on Hacker After Dark. He's next here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM. Hello. Another great guest on the Farrah and Farrah phone line. Brought to you by the accident attorneys at Farrah and Farrah. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville. We are glad you are with us. The month of January is coming to an end. The month of February is on the horizon. That means the second National Signing Day. Also, the college football news continues. Some coordinators out here in the state of Florida potentially a coordinator moving to the NFL up there in Athens. We'll see what happens. Let's get the very latest with Brent Beard. You see him on First Coast News here locally. You also get him right here on Hacker After Dark. Mr. Beard, how are you, sir? 
Hank, doing well. Glad to be with you. And yes, uh, we are now off season and near National Signing Day, but there's still plenty of stuff that goes on. Uh, and and it and it's good that college football stays in the news year round. Brent, you and I are old enough to remember that the February National Signing Day was like our Super Bowl. I remember I yes. had you on, and we would talk about. 20 different prospects and announcements and TV going live for these guys to make their announcements on the first Wednesday in February, and it was great. And the December early signing period has crushed and destroyed that. Um, boy, I, to tell you the truth, I'm shocked that December has turned in what it's turned into. And February now, Brent, is nothing more than, I guess, a blip on the radar. Well, uh, and there, and the even though National Signing Day is Wednesday, there will be very little action. I'm not saying nothing will happen, but and here's why: uh, Alabama's already signed 28, Georgia 26, LSU 25, Miami 24, uh, Tennessee signed 25, Florida signed 20, A&M signed 19. Uh, but I, I know you get the point to that. Uh, the, the proverbial hay is in the barn uh, with a lot of these schools. Now, here's the thing to keep in mind. This December date that they thought would answer a lot of problems has frankly created more than it's solved. Now, they're glad to have uh, the signing class put to bed uh, before they pop the cork uh, on New Year's Day uh, but the reality is, uh, even Greg Sankey himself, when Sankey wants something uh, changed, it usually gets done. He's saying we're, he said, we're crushing these coaches. There's too much going on in December. I mean, you've got uh, finals for some graduation, preparing for bowl games, preparing for uh, even looking at uh, playoffs. You've got... Uh, recruiting, you've got trying to balance your roster. The point is, they're they're basically going to do, I think, one of two things, maybe three, that they're going to move the date to either uh, the last week of November or the first week of December, which won't help that much. They're just going to scrap it all and go back to the uh, Wednesday, February date, or what I think they may actually look at is if you're going to have an early signing period, have it early, uh, i.e. Uh, August, the end of August, the 1st of September. So uh, they thought it would help them. It really has become more of a burden. So, uh, so, and I'm sure you, I'm curious what you've heard too, um, but Hank, that, that, that's where we're heading right now. Yeah, look, something needs to change. There's too much crammed into those couple of weeks there in December. And I remember when I was covering recruiting around the southeastern part of the country, talking to a lot of these kids, some of them, in fact, a majority of them enjoyed signing in, in December because they were tired mm -hmm. of the nonsense. They were yeah. tired of getting calls in the middle of the night, tired of interviews, tired of all of it. But some coaches would kind of use it against them, saying, all right, yeah. if you don't sign now, mm -hmm. I can't guarantee you we're going to have a spot for you in February. And I think right. the dates are too close together uh, for that very reason. So I do think something needs to change. Again, Brent Beard here with us. You know, it's funny, Brent, back in the day, it was like a rite of passage after February signing day. 
We would have coordinator and assistant coaching turnover all over the country because you wanted those letters of intent in before anything happened. And we kind of see that again this year, although most of the hay, like you said, is in the barn from December. A couple of coordinator news and notes, including the University of Georgia, their offensive coordinator, Todd Munkin, former NFL guy, interviewing with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers for their open coordinator role. Certainly something for Bulldog fans to watch closely. Yeah, absolutely. And also, I understand Arizona is interested possibly, too. Now, what Munkin really wants, and this would be any coordinator's dream, would be to go to the NFL and have full control over the offense. Uh, Now, whether that will be granted or not remains to be seen. But, look, Munkin deserves a lot of credit for what he's done at Georgia. Uh, And and Kirby actually really this year – uh, I think got to the level of trust in Munkin that he basically left him alone. Uh, and they won the championship uh, not because of Munkin, but he certainly had a real part uh, to play uh, in what he did with that, that offense. The thing that the, about the Georgia offense this year, Hank, they really did not have a bell cow at, at wide receiver and or running back, did they? They basically did it by committee uh, with a quarterback uh, that, frankly, was amazing uh, for what he started with, uh, and you put all that together, and it was a very impressive performance. So because of that, people are going to be looking at guys like Todd Munkin uh, to maybe come back to the NFL or maybe even go somewhere else, which leads to this point. (laughs) Uh, Hank, the other reality is, Guys like Munkin, if he stays at Georgia, I would not be surprised if he ends up being the highest paid OC in the country. Uh, And you and I used to be amazed at this, uh, but it's now become almost the norm. We're we're quickly getting to the point where coordinators, I don't mean head coaches, but coordinators are going to be making a million, a million and a half, and two million dollars per year. That's amazing in itself, in it, Hank? Yeah, I think it is, Brent. I think if you ask Georgia fans, they would say Munkin's been worth every penny of that and then some yes. for what he's done to that offense. Now, it's going to be an important year. We'll see if Munkin remains in Athens because they're bringing in a new quarterback. Stetson Bennett uh, is leaving the program. Uh, not good week. Not a good weekend for Stetson Bennett. Arrested in Dallas, reportedly on uh, public intoxication, is is the reports that are out there. Look, kids will be kids, or 25-year-olds, I guess, will be 25-year-olds. Brent, I was 25 once. Uh, I, I get it. But when you're a guy like Stetson Bennett and a back-to-back national champion, you got to be a little smarter than most 25-year-olds, and certainly not a good look. I don't think it's going to tarnish his legacy or anything like that but probably not something that you would want to see if you're Georgia or in the Stetson Bennett camp. No, not at all. I mean, the look, he and uh, I still think Herschel is the most valuable Georgia player ever, but a lot of people think that Bennett could be because of the two national championships or that he may at least be second only to Herschel. So his legacy will be intact, uh, to your point. No, this is not a smart decision, and he goes to Dallas in order to work on 
uh, getting to the combine and very possibly getting drafted. I think the question here is going to be uh, is will that hurt him in the minds of NFL decision makers, GMs, and the officials who would be interviewing him? I think in the long, long run it, it won't. He doesn't have any long history of just reckless behavior like this, but uh, it, it, it's certainly something that, that that will not help him by any stretch of imagination. I've, heck, I've said this for years, why these guys – uh, with the money they're about to be making from the, from the NFL, don't almost have a handler with them, for lack of a better word, to keep them out of some trouble with, and during this situation uh, is beyond me. But I do think he gets uh, beyond it uh, and that he will be okay. And, and that the big question is going to come in uh, is, can he actually play in the NFL? And to his credit, on the field, uh, there were a few quarterbacks over the last few years that it, that have improved his game as much as Stetson has uh, on the field and decision-making and his ability to make different throws. A couple of more for Brent Beard. You get him on First Coast News here locally. You also get him right here with us on Hacker After Dark. Brent, curious timing in South Florida as offensive coordinator Josh Gaddis shown the door last week I mean the Miami Hurricanes have not played a football game in over two months remember they did not become bowl eligible so their season ended Thanksgiving two months later the offensive coordinator shown the door I, that was a head scratcher for me well it is now the numbers bear out that it wasn't good I mean they were 114th in the country in offensive scoring 97th in yards per game and 110 in red zone scoring percentage. But, I mean, the reality is uh, you're talking about a guy in uh, Josh Gaddis who uh, uh, at Michigan the year before led him to the playoffs and won the Brawls Award for the top assistant. So there, there very well may be some things that happen there uh, that we won't know for a while as far as uh, disagreement uh, uh, with Mario Cristobal. Now, the obvious question is going to be uh, is who might replace him, and we and always their names thrown up against the wall to see which ones would stick, some with uh, Miami ties and, and some that are not. The most interesting one, I'm curious what you think about some of these. Ken Dorsey, quarterback at Miami with the Buffalo Bills, Joe Brady, uh, uh, is the quarterback coach. Dorsey was the offensive coordinator. Nebraska head coach Scott Frost, uh, and Ohio State offensive coordinator, wide receivers coach Brian Hartland, and Toledo head coach Jason Candle. Now, now again, uh, we understand uh, that uh, those are just some guesses, but those are some of the, uh, the possibilities there. And also their quarterback coach, Frank Ponce is going to Appalachian State to be their offensive coordinator. Uh, so, the, and Jake Garcia uh, ended up in the transfer portal uh, and has ended up, has ended up uh, at Missouri. So, uh, heck, to say the least, the offensive side of the ball with the Canes made a lot of changes. Yeah, certainly some turnover there. Ken Dorsey's an interesting name, although I would be surprised if you went from a coordinator 
in the NFL, even though it's your alma mater, back to a coordinator in college. Dorsey, to me, seems like a guy destined for an NFL head coaching job at some point. Scott Frost is an interesting name, but again, uh, you wonder if Scott Frost might want to take a break after the yeah, nightmare that happened really. to him that his alma mater there in Lincoln, Nebraska. Brent, you're from the state of Alabama. Your brother does sports radio in the state of Alabama. It is Senior Bowl week. I know you know Jim Nagy. You know the folks in Mobile. The Senior Bowl has turned into uh, just an enormous deal. It always has been big, but as the years have gone by, it's getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And I'm just curious, a guy like you who spent so much time in that state, boy, what that city does for that event and the, the folks that put that event on, it is first class. It's top notch. It's really where the draft process begins, and it begins this week there in Mobile, Alabama. And, and the amazing thing about this is the, the, the game is almost secondary, isn't it? Absolutely. Everything, uh, the, when we were there a couple of years, the meetings that you see between players and agents and coaches in the lobby of the hotel, that is the fascinating stuff, the practices, really all is. that. The game is, is cool, but you're right, it is almost secondary. Well, and look, there are – some really interesting guys who I think could really uh, uh, blossom. Frankly, Jamie Robinson at Florida State, Christopher Smith at Georgia, uh, or some of those Tyreek Stevenson at Miami, who's been around the block a little bit. Uh, also, DJ Dell at Alabama, Byron Young. Uh, also, uh, uh, I think you've got by another Byron Young at Tennessee uh, who is very good. But yet you've got players from Florida A&M, Isaiah Land, Will McDonald, the fourth from Iowa State. Uh, people get that and they understand uh, where that might be. I love Osiris Torrance. Uh, now, he's going to have to be uh, remade in the image of uh, whatever team drafts him, uh, but I think he is tremendous, frankly. And there are a lot of college coaches who go, uh, Hank, it's either Tuesday or Wednesday, Nick Saban goes down there to, to look at the Alabama players, and he'll have 30 media around him because he'll hold about a 10-minute a press conference uh, and be asked uh, a, a, a lot of questions. But these coaches are – uh, on the field, uh, and they are looking at these kids uh, firsthand. So, uh, and and I tell you what, Hag, and you get this because you were down there. But uh, and look, I, I'm not trying to be the uh, the old guy yelling at the cloud here. But for these players down there, they need to be on the P's and Q's, and needs to be yes sir and no sir, and. They pay attention to the attitude, don't they? There's no question about it. And another another interesting aspect of this week is all the coaches that are not currently employed all descend yeah. upon Mobile to try yeah. to find a job going into next year in the National Football League. It is really – I know we still have two teams going and the Super Bowl is you know, 13, 12 days away, but it is really where – next season begins in Mobile, Alabama. And again, Mobile, a great city, and they really 
uh, put out the red carpet for the National Football League this week there at the Senior Bowl. We always put out the red carpet for our man, Brenton Beard. You see him on First Coast News. You get him right here as well on Hacker After Dark. Brent, always appreciate the time. We'll see what happens in the next week with the Miami coordinator search, a couple of coordinator openings still at your alma mater at Alabama. There's a lot going on. Maybe we'll have some answers in seven days, and you and I will talk again, my friend. We'll look forward to it, Hank. Have a great week. Always enjoy Brent Beard joining us here on Hacker After Dark. Of course, you see him locally on First Coast News. And, yeah, look, there were a couple of things that were kind of head-scratchers. <clears throat> look, Miami getting rid of Gaddis is one thing. Two months, though, after their season ended? Why two months later? Miami did not go to a bowl game. Their season ended Thanksgiving weekend. They fire their offensive coordinator at the end of January. That doesn't correlate with me. I mean, why wait eight weeks to do it? So we'll see what Miami does there. Todd Munkin at Georgia, at least in the interview process for the offensive coordinator job in Tampa Bay. We know Jim Bob Cooter, the Jaguar passing game coordinator, also in the running or at least has interviewed for that job in Tampa for the Buccaneer Open offensive coordinator spot. So what would that mean for Georgia if they were to lose Todd Munkin? And look, Stetson Bennett, I've been 25. Denmark, you're about to turn 25 at the end of the week. There's a lot of people out there that have been 25 years old. We all know what we were like at 25 years of age. So I'm not going to throw stones in a glass house. But public intoxication when you're Stetson Bennett, just be a little smarter than that, man. Have a handler. Have somebody with you. Just don't be an idiot. Again, we've all been 25. We've all done that sort of thing, or at least most of us have. But when you're a guy like Stetson Bennett, it's got to be a little more careful than most average 25-year-olds. So Brent Beard of First Coast News and right here on 1010XL. Thank him as always. Coming up next, Dave Campo, former head coach of the Dallas Cowboys. Let's take an early Early look ahead to the Super Bowl. We'll certainly do more of that next week with Dave Campo. But we'll take a look back at the AFC championship game. We'll take a look back at the NFC championship game. A couple of Jaguar tidbits as well. Dave Campo next on a Tuesday night edition of Hacker After Dark. As always, we're streaming Jacksonville for your viewing pleasure. Go to YouTube. Search 1010XL on YouTube. You'll see the show there until midnight tonight. Likewise on Twitter. At 1010XL on Twitter, you'll see the show there until midnight as well. Dave Campo next on Hacker After Dark. Now, hello. another great guest on the Farrah and Farrah phone line. Brought to you by the accident attorneys at Farrah and Farrah. Back here on 1010XL at 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville. We are glad you are with us. Championship Sunday in the books. The Super Bowl is set. Let's talk to a man that knows all about that. He has three Super Bowl rings from his time with the Dallas Cowboys. That's, of course, our guy Dave Campo, former head coach there in Dallas, always kind enough to join us here on Hacker After Dark. Coach, how we doing, man? I'm doing great. Thank you. Uh, yeah, I, I enjoyed uh, the weekend and having a chance to watch those playoff games. And uh, to be honest with you, I, I think uh, the Jaguars held their own against Kansas City. Yeah, there's no question about that. Look, we got a lot to get into from the championship games. Got a couple Jaguar things to discuss as well. Let's begin first and foremost 
Coach, with the AFC Championship game last night, Cincinnati, Kansas City, what a game. Comes down to the wire, and everybody's talking about that play where Joseph Asai hits Patrick Mahomes out of bounds, 15-yard penalty, gets the Chiefs in the field goal range. They win the game. That was a 22-year-old that had played his tail off, Coach, for the Bengals, and he was devastated yesterday. You could see him just sobbing on the sideline. It was almost hard to watch. I'm not sure why CBS kept showing that, to be honest. As a head coach in that position, what do you say to a young man like that? Well, first of all, you know, uh, I was sitting there, obviously I was sitting there watching the game with my wife, and, and when the game was over, you know, my wife made the comment, you know, uh, why is he still sitting on the bench and pouting and this and that? I said, Kay, I said, you don't understand. You know, that kid played his tail off, like you said, for the entire football game. He's an excellent player. And from what I understand, a, a really good young man. And he got caught up in the moment. And when you're going full speed and he knew that if, if you know, him making that run, that they had a chance for a possible, uh, you know, getting into field goal range, that he had a chance to make a first down. And he was trying everything he could to get there. And he just made a bad decision. And that's a shame. Uh, although when it comes down to games in this NFL, you know, I've said from day one, it comes down to two or three, four or five plays. And, you know, early in the season, the Jaguars were making those kind of mistakes. I don't get real upset with a guy that's playing uh, full speed, uh, and, but you just have to use some common sense in that situation. And obviously, he was just trying to, to do something to have a chance to win. I thought his teammates were spectacular in the postgame locker room. I don't know if you saw it, Coach, but his teammates were basically standing next to him. B.J. Hill was standing next to him as the media is asking him questions, basically saying, that's a clown question. Don't ask that. That's ridiculous. And, you know, and the the good questions, Asai answered. But I thought his teammates really stepped up for that kid last night in a very, very tough situation in the postgame. Well, I think that's why the, they were there. You know, the teams that get to the to the final uh, two or four, you know, are, are, are team guys, especially on defense. And, you know, of course, I lived it for 46 years and was able to play in three Super Bowls and, and a national championship game. And the one thing that sticks out to me in all of those uh, – with all those teams – is that there's a great camaraderie in the locker room. And I really don't think you get – people talk all the time about all the firepower and all the things on offense, and especially on defense. Uh, you don't get to that point without playing pretty decent defense when you get into the playoffs. And a lot of that is – defense is just emotion and and love for one another and playing hard for each other. And And I still think that's a huge part of the game – regardless of whether it's a professional athlete or a college athlete. Those guys play because they love the game. Uh, for the most part, every player is there because they love who they're playing with and, and their teammates are really important to them. Former head coach of the Dallas Cowboys, Dave Campo, here with us on 1010XL in Jacksonville. Coach, I thought it was interesting in the post game as well. You know, these guys are professionals, so we very rarely talk about bulletin board material when it comes to games like this yet in the post game 
Travis Kelsey alluding to the Cincinnati mayor. Patrick Mahomes talking about Burrowhead. Uh, Frank Clark, Chris Jones talking about Burrowhead and how the Cincinnati Bengals had been talking that Joe Burrow, you know, owns that stadium. Uh, it was obvious after the game that the Chiefs knew what was being said. And, and whether you call it motivation, whatever, it was probably something if Cincinnati had to do over again, they probably would have kept their mouth shut. Well, I think that's true. I mean, you know, even Burrow said they don't have any cigars, but they're going to enjoy the post game. So it's in the guys' minds. I don't necessarily think that it makes a difference necessarily in the final outcome of the game. But there's no question that those guys want to let it out after the game. And, you know, that's kind of what you see there. I think it does, uh, you know, maybe give you a little bit of incentive to to play just a step faster or whatever. Uh, it's a little different in, in the National Football League. I know this. We talked all the time about keeping your mouth shut before a ball game and let your pads do the talking. So uh, I don't think that that was smart on the mayor's part, and I don't think it was smart on some of the players' part with the Cincinnati Bengals. Coach, over decades in your career, you've seen some unbelievable quarterback-wide receiver combos. You worked with one every day in Dallas and Troy Aikman and Michael Irvin. I got to tell you, Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey is one of the best ever, and maybe when all said and done, though they might even rival you know, Brady and Gronk, you know, two or three years down the road. Those guys are borderline unstoppable when they're on. And again, last night, Mahomes and Kelsey are the reason the Chiefs won the game. Well, you know, there's no question that you get a a, a guy that's, uh, you know, that they, they are on the same uh, wavelength. And there was nothing to me more indicative. Well, a couple things. Number one, you know, we were all upset with Kelsey catching 14 last week. I don't know what the final was. How many did he catch? Uh, last night, I have to, I'd have to look, but I know he had some key ones, including that yeah. touchdown. He had to have close to 10. I know that for sure. And that's what you're talking about. But the one that stuck out to me more than anything else was when he stepped up in the pocket and he made that throw to him for the touchdown. The guy was not open. And as soon as he saw him break the pocket, he slid back inside and he and he hit him with it. Uh, that one there, he threw almost before the guy made his final move. And that, to me, is a, an example of that chemistry that, that that you get with the quarterbacks get with certain players. And, you know, there's no question that that shows up with Mahomes and Kelsey. Yeah, Kelsey last night, 7 for 78 and a touchdown. That puts him at, what, 21 catches in two playoff games this year. Uh, for Kansas City. So they're off to the Super Bowl. Andy Reid off to another Super Bowl, and he will play his former team as the Philadelphia Eagles take out San Francisco. Dave, let's talk about San Francisco first and foremost. Um, The injury problems yesterday. I've never seen anything like it. They'd already played three quarterbacks. Brock Purdy was the third quarterback. He goes down, and you have to bring in Josh Johnson, who's been on third. NFL teams over his 15-year career. Then he goes down, and Brock Purdy has to come back in and can't functionally really throw the ball because of his elbow. I think the NFL really needs to look at the third emergency quarterback and putting that back in to not have that count against your 45-man roster. 
But that aside, have you ever been in a game or seen anything like that where San Francisco, due to injury, could basically do nothing on offense? No, not really. Not with the quarterback position. You know, you saw it a little bit in the AFC game with uh, the receivers going down for Kansas City. You know, that changes the whole uh, dynamic. But when your quarterback goes down, you know, that's a whole different thing. You know, that guy's the guy. And, you know, Josh Johnson had some experience being with all those teams. Uh, but the problem is he doesn't get enough reps during the course of the week, especially with a quarterback like Brock Purdy, who's going into his first, uh, you know, big-time uh, championship game in the NFL you know, he was going to take every single rep he could to make sure they had a chance to win. And once, uh, you know, once Josh Johnson went down, that playbook went to uh, about 12 plays, all running plays. And, uh, you know, that was a shame because I think that would have been a decent football game, although I think Philadelphia is the better team. I think that would have been a decent ball game had he not gone down. I think Philadelphia, I mean, uh, San Francisco has enough firepower that they could have made it a game. Coach, I just have to ask you after watching that yesterday, why can nobody stop the Philadelphia quarterback sneak? <laughs> you got me. <laughs> you know, they just, it's just, the, the whole thing has uh, changed since they uh, put in the rule that you could push a guy. You know, back in the day when I was coaching, uh, you couldn't push the pile. And so, you know, that just made a big difference because when when the guy run, when they run a quarterback sneak, the officials don't blow, blow the whistle immediately. And so that gives a chance for the, the pile to get moving. And that's really what, what happens. All the, the defense, there's only so many things you can do defensively. And that's to load up the gaps and, and blow the gaps and try to get lo- lower than the opponent and have one guy up for the jump. But the push is what makes a difference in the quarterback sneak today. There you go. Dave Campo, former head coach of the Dallas Cowboys, here with us on Hacker After Dark. More from Dave next week when we start really looking at the Super Bowl, Philadelphia, Kansas City. We know the storyline's going in. Andy Reid, right, 14 years on the Philadelphia sideline. He got him to, what, four, five NFC championship games, got him to a Super Bowl, could not not get them over the hump here in Jacksonville when they lost to New England. He has shown the door. He goes to Kansas City and has now been out there for a decade, has a Super Bowl, has been to another, and now is going to his third in four years. So one of the greatest coaches um, in the history of the NFL, certainly, other than Bill Belichick, that that would be an interesting conversation. If you go back 30 years, let's say you go back to the early to mid-90s, from the early to mid-90s to right now, Bill Belichick is number one. All right, I'm not breaking any news there. He's by far and away the most accomplished the best head coach out there. Is Andy Reid number two? Is he better than Mike Tomlin? Better than John Harbaugh? You know, would you count a Mike Holmgren in there? I mean, Andy Reid's been doing it for 24 years. Like we said, 14 in Philadelphia, now 10 in Kansas City, and he has been unbelievably successful anywhere he's been. So that's one of the big storylines. The other 
is the Kelsey brothers. Travis Kelsey for Kansas City, Jason Kelsey for Philadelphia. Well, what's their mom going to do? What's their parents going to do? Very, very interesting um, when you got brothers battling for a Super Bowl. Be some long nights ahead for the Kelsey family to see who they're actually going to root for coming up this week. <laughs> my uh, my chair I'm sitting in is literally sinking right now. I'm normally uh, concerned about uh, the chairs in here, and I have gone from up here to down here. So that was a good time, Denmark, to step aside. It's one hour down, one hour to go. We're with you till midnight here on Hacker After Dark. I'm going to find a new chair. I'm excited about that. We're going to come back more on the National Football League and a lot of news today. A lot of news involving head coaches. We'll do all of that next. Hacker After Dark on a Tuesday here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM. This is Hacker After Dark on 1010XL. All right, got a new chair. Good to go. Glad you're with us, Hacker After Dark on a Tuesday. 1010XL, 92.5 FM. Let me throw this at you. We've done a lot of Jaguar talk, obviously. We'll continue to do that. 41 days away, but who's counting? 41 days till free agency gets underway. But the big thing for the Jaguars and Jaguar fans over the next, oh, I don't know, two to three weeks is reinstatement possibilities for Calvin Ridley, which leads me to this. Denmark, tell me about these numbers because I think they're pretty good. Let's go. 64 for 821 and 10 touchdowns. Okay. 63 for 866 and seven touchdowns. Okay. 90 for 1,374 and nine touchdowns. And in five games in 2021, 31 for 281 and two scores. Yeah, that's pretty good. You add all that up, that's 49 games and 35 starts for Calvin Ridley. He's only played 49 games in the National Football League. Of those 49 games, he has 248 catches for 3,342 yards and 28 touchdowns. 28 touchdowns in 49 games. That is what hopefully is coming to Jacksonville. And again, all indications are Calvin Ridley is in fantastic shape. If you talk to those that are around him, he's been working out like nobody's business in South Florida. He's 28 years old. He won't turn 29 until December. And he can apply for reinstatement in the middle of February, and there's not a reason to believe that he will not be reinstated. I mean, there's a real legitimate argument that when he's playing at his best that he's a legit top 10 receiver. There's no question. I mean, this last full year, he had 90 catches for 1,374 yards and nine touchdowns. That is a top 10 receiver in the National Football League. 
So people that say the Jaguars aren't going to be active in free agency, you're right. People that say the Jaguars are going to focus more on the draft this year, yeah, you're right. But they've already hit in free agency because Calvin Ridley is essentially their big free agent this year. Calvin Ridley is their Christian Kirk. So when Calvin Ridley comes on board with Christian Kirk, with Zay Jones, with Travis Etienne, with Trevor Lawrence, man. And then we'll find out about Evan Ingram. And we'll find out about Jawan Taylor. I'm of the thinking at this point, based on people I've talked to and just my opinion on the matter, that it's more likely than not you keep one of those guys and you lose one. And we'll do that as a poll question someday in the near future. Might even make it a, a topic. Who would you, if you could only have one, you could only keep one, do you keep Evan Ingram or do you keep Jawan Taylor? Because I think that's where it's ultimately going to land. One of those guys will be back in 2023. I think the other guy is probably gone. 641-1010 is the phone number on the phone line and on the text line designed by Lifetime Enclosures. The high school spotlight coming up at the bottom of the hour. Brand new head football coach at West Nassau High School, Gunnar Cox. Brand new head football coach at Keystone Heights High School, Steve Reynolds. They will both join me tonight on the high school spotlight. Coming up next, let's talk a little association. Most teams, 50-plus games into their regular season already. Brian Toporek of Forbes and Bleacher Report. Let's talk NBA regular season, trade deadline, all-star break, all that and more. Brian Toporek, Bleacher Report, talking NBA next on a Tuesday night edition of Hacker After Dark. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville. We are glad you are with us. It is hard to believe, and I know we've been so caught up in the Jaguars and the NFL postseason, but the NBA is almost 50 games in for some teams. Heck, in fact, some teams are over the 50-game mark. The All-Star break on the horizon, the trade deadline on the horizon, and it won't be long until the NBA postseason is here. With that, let's talk a little association with Brian Toporek, Bleacher Report, Forbes. You also catch him on Liberty Ballers. He's always kind enough to join us here on 1010XL in Jacksonville. Brian, how we doing, man? Uh, doing well. How are you? Brian, we're good. Thank you for the time. And uh, all right, so obviously a lot of interesting issues going on around the NBA. I always like to start with the team that's closest to us here in Jacksonville, and that's the Orlando Magic. Shown signs of life uh, now that they're uh, somewhat healthy, or at least the healthiest they've been all season long. Don't know if they're going to make the play-in tournament. They're four and a half out, still a long way to go. But it's at least nice to see, Brian, that Orlando hasn't uh, fully tanked this season, as some thought maybe a couple of months ago. Yeah, I mean, I think they're, frankly, kind of too good to tank. They have, like, too much promising young talent. So, you know, barring, God forbid, an injury to Paolo Boncaro or Franz Wagner or anyone like that, uh, I think they're going to be relatively competitive on a night-to-night basis, even if, as you mentioned, you know, they might not make the play-in tournament this year. We'll see what happens if, you know, some of these teams ahead of them go into seller mode at the trade deadline, that could open up a spot for them. Uh, the return of Jonathan Isaac, I know, is pretty exciting for them as well because it's been so long since he's played basketball, and he really looks, frankly, shockingly good 
for <laughs> for how long he's been out. Um, so, you know, there's no real urgency for the Magic, like, to make any big moves. They could trade Terrence Ross, who's on an expiring contract. They could trade Mo Bamba at $10.3 million this year, non-guaranteed next year. So they could make some moves around the margins, but they're definitely not at a point right now where they need to be making any big decisions about you know, which which of these guys are key members of the core moving forward. Brian, with the amount of young talent that they have, and I agree with you, Ben Caro is a fantastic rookie. Franz Wagner, I think, is a future all-star. Wendell Carter, <clears throat> I mean, the, the Magic completely ripped off the Bulls in yeah. that trade. And the Magic also owned the Bulls pick this year, assuming it's not in the top four. So with this roster, with the fact that they're going to have probably two more lottery picks coming in next year, I understand the full rebuild, and I get it. But Jamal Mosley at head coach, I mean, at some point he needs to start winning, correct? Or the clock's going to start ticking on him. Yeah, I, I think that's a, a fair assessment. You know, it's usually, I'm sure when he signed on, they knew it was going to be a multi-year rebuild. So they're going to have some degree of patience. But yeah, if they show no progress at all, he's going to be in the hot seat at some point. Uh, the good thing is, I think they are showing progress already. So, you know, I don't think his job is in any major danger yet. But depending on what they do with these picks, um, assuming they get both, assuming they're both lottery picks, we'll see, you know, if they jump up and get uh, Victor Wembanyama or uh, Scoot Henderson or something like that, that would really change the trajectory of this team. So also, they have been mentioned uh, with this trade deadline coming up next week uh, in conjunction with Fred Van Vliet of the Raptors in particular, which is pretty interesting because they already have you know, Jalen Suggs, who they just drafted last year. They have Markel Fultz. They have Cole Anthony. But, you know, being linked to a guy like Van Vliet at least suggests that that's where they see they have some room for an upgrade. Brian Teporg, Bleacher Report, and Forbes covering the NBA here with us on 1010XL in Jacksonville. Brian, final Orlando question. And look, this is a question I get from fellow Magic supporters. You know, they see a team like Indiana. Are right, you look on paper, and Indiana's roster is not head and shoulders better than Orlando's roster. You look in the win-loss column, and Indiana is clearly better. I mean, Sacramento added Sabonis, and I get that, but Sacramento's had a complete turnaround in one year under Mike Brown there as head coach. And I guess the frustrating thing for Magic fans is that they see things like that going on, and yet Orlando hasn't really seemed to turn that corner yet. Is that a is that a fair criticism? Uh, yes and no. I mean, I think you know, like the the engine of Indiana this year has been Tyrese Halliburton, who is in his third season in the NBA. Um, you, you know, you still have veterans like Miles Turner there, Buddy Heald, TJ McConnell has been big for them off the bench. You know, Benedict Matherin, who they picked sixth overall this past year, has been an instant impact rookie. I think for Orlando, like a lot of these guys are even younger than what we're talking about in Indiana. Same deal with Sacramento. I mean, De'Aaron Fox, I think, is in his sixth year if i remember correctly uh sabonis has been around even longer than that so you know you're you're building around i mean most of the top rotation players for the magic aren't even 25 yet so you know give it another year or two and i think we really will start to see some major progress being made and you know i think it, it requires patience if you don't hit a home run in the draft but luckily i think they've hit two now in Boncaro and Wagner. So I would expect 
really as soon as next year, I think the Magic should be firmly in the play-in mix, if not higher. Brian, you look around the NBA recently, and I guess the thing that everybody saw this past weekend was LeBron James losing his mind at the end of that Boston <laughs> game. And yeah, he got fouled, but but good grief. I mean, a little dramatic there with, with his reaction. Um, let's talk about both of those teams. Let's start with the Lakers. Are they going to mm-hmm. do anything at the trade deadline? Can they do anything to improve this roster? I know that they're getting somewhat healthier, uh, which will help them, mm-hmm. but could they be uh, players at the trade deadline? Yeah, I mean, they already acquired Rui Hachimura from the Washington Wizards for Kendrick Nunn and three second-round picks, so they already made one you know, relatively small move, but a, a good gamble nonetheless. Um, and it's interesting because they were potentially in line to have $30 million of cap space this summer, so you know that could have put them in the conversation for Kyrie Irving if he decided to take a discount or another big-name star uh, acquiring bank, um Sorry, Hachimura would imply that they're probably not going to look to make a major splash in free agency. So I wouldn't be surprised if they try to trade for someone else who is either going to be a free agent this summer or is under contract for, you know, beyond this year. Uh, They've got Russell Westbrook. They have these two first round picks, 27 and 29, that they can offer. Eric Pincus, the Bleach Report, uh, noted that because they gave away a 2029 second that it makes it more difficult for them to protect the 2029 first if they do end up making that move but you know i I still there's some confusion among like nba cap nerds right now because um miles turner just signed this extension that includes a renegotiation of his contract and it's unclear uh, whether he's eligible to be traded or not. We, we think he is, but it's not 100% certain. But, you know, now I'm wondering with him now, they know what he's signed for for the next two years. I'm wondering if this oft-rumored, you know, Russ and the two picks for Buddy Heald and Miles Turner deal is even more likely than it was a couple months ago. So I I do not think the Lakers are done yet. I don't know if there's anything they can do that will vault them into, like, title favorite status but the west is so wide open right now and everyone is so bunched together i mean the lakers are currently 13th in the west but they're like three and a half games behind the clippers who are in fourth so it's like one you know one or two good weeks or one or two bad weeks as the pelicans are finding out uh can really just totally shake up these standings yeah the west is absolutely insane right now back to the west in a moment quickly to boston they were the uh, victors on saturday night uh, got the benefit of the call and ultimately won won the game. Boston uh, standings wise, a clear is clearly in, uh, ahead of the East, you know, and of every team. I think by four and a half or five games. But are they that much better than the rest of the East, Brian, or is it closer than it would appear? I think they're the clear favorites in the East. I that isn't to say that some team couldn't beat them, but I think they're going to go into the playoffs frankly, is the favorite to win the NBA title. And I think that is completely deserved. They're playing really well on both ends of the floor. Jason Tatum is having an MVP caliber season that is being overshadowed because, you know, Luka Doncic and Nikola Jokic and Joel Embiid are also having MVP caliber seasons, but this is the best Tatum has ever played. Jalen Brown is also having a career year. Uh, You know, getting back Robert Williams, the anchor of their defense. They have Marcus Smart, the reigning defensive player of the year. Malcolm Brogdon was a huge pickup for them in the offseason. So 
you know, I don't know if they're going to make any major upgrades at the trade deadline because, frankly, I think they feel pretty good about their playoff rotation as is. Yeah, one of the anomalies of the season as the Orlando Magic are 3-0 and against the Boston Celtics. Yeah. Just go <laughs> figure. Right. It's all about matchups, and Orlando, for whatever reason, just matches up really well with Boston. Uh, back to the West for a moment. Again, final moments with Brian Toporek, Bleacher Report, and Forbes covering the National Basketball Association. Um, teams that, you know, we haven't talked about. Denver obviously is very good, but I don't really ever believe in them until they do anything in the postseason. I'm curious if you think this year will be any different. We mentioned Sacramento, maybe the biggest surprise of the entire league right now with how well that they're playing. What are some under-the-radar teams in the West that you think could make some real noise? I think Phoenix, if they can get healthy, we saw it last year. They were 64 and 18 last year. They're 26 and 25 right now. But you know, Cameron Johnson missed most of the season. Devin Booker is now hurt. Chris Paul has missed a lot of time. So if they ever get back to full strength, and we'll see, you know, they've have Jay Crowder, who's been a starter for them for the past couple of years, hasn't played at all this year because he wasn't happy with how the team wanted to use him. So we'll see if they're able to flip him at the trade deadline and what they get for him. Um, the Golden State Warriors, of course, defending champions. They've been mediocre this year. We'll see if they end up making any major move in terms of, you know, they've tried to balance this like two timeline thing with Steph, Clay, Draymond, the old veterans ready to win. You know, Jonathan Kuminga, James Wiseman, Moses Moody, these young lottery picks. Are they willing to cash in some of those for more of a win now player to help? bolster their rotation that's certainly an interesting storyline for the next week uh la clippers i just mentioned they're fourth in the west right now you know Kawhi leonard has missed a ton of time this year paul george has missed 15 or 16 games this year but if those two get healthy and stay healthy by mid-april you know they certainly have the depth to make some noise in the west and there's really not a team out there you know denver i think right now is clearly the best team in the west i have their offense is absurd and you know they, i think like their top seven rotation players are all shooting 37 or 38 percent from three or better so you know they can get into some track meets but i think there are some defensive concerns with them there will always be defensive concerns with them uh they are also apparently shopping around at the deadline shopping uh bones highland one of their young guards for a more win now player so yeah, I think it's going to be really interesting these next 10 days because uh, there really aren't that many teams that are obvious sellers. So you know, does a team jump into the fray and realize like, hey, we can, you know, there are a lot of hungry contenders out there. If we trade away some guys, like we might be able to get more than we thought we could for them, even if it means taking a step back this year. I think you know, Utah is certainly a team to mention in that conversation but toronto i think is is the team that all the vultures around the nba are circling right now brian final question again we'll hopefully do this again soon after the trade deadline but one or two you mentioned crowder out in phoenix he would certainly be a big name one or two other big names that realistically could potentially be on the move as the trade deadline approaches yeah, John Collins of Atlanta has been in trade rumors like basically since he signed his contract extension a few years ago um, so it seems like they are open to moving him, but aren't necessarily going to just give him away. Uh, I mentioned the Raptors. I think Gary Trent Jr. Sounds like he is more likely than not going to be on the move. I'd say Fred Van Vliet and OG Ananobi are the guys that could go either way, but 
know, if, I think especially OG, if he's available, there are a lot of teams that could come calling that should come calling uh, Memphis in particular, Phoenix in that conversation as well. Uh, I mean, he's the type of guy who could swing the title race this year. Brian DeBorg, Bleacher Report and Forbes, always kind enough to come on and talk NBA with us here in the city of Jacksonville. Brian, always appreciate the conversation, man. Know you're very busy this time of year. Thank you very much. We'll do it again real soon. Of course, my pleasure. Anytime. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM as the high school spotlight rolls on here at the end of January, the beginning of February. Head coaching positions are getting filled all over Northeast Florida, and that is true up in Nassau County as West Nassau hires a brand new head coach, Gunnar Cox, formerly of JU, also spent some time as an assistant in the area, now the brand new man in charge of West Nassau football. Coach, congratulations. Thank you, thank you. This is a a great opportunity for me, and you know, I'm just ready to get it rolling. Coach, uh, boy, you talk about me feeling old. I remember when you played football at Uly, <laughs> which was not that long ago, and now here you are, what, 10 years or so after high school, and you're now a head coach there in Nassau County at West Nassau. Uh, boy, uh, for a guy your age to get a role like this, man, just kudos to you and the job you've put in on the assistant coaching ranks. Yeah, I just I had a great opportunity. I went to you know Ju, and I got uh, luckily to you know join uh, Coach Ian Shield's staff at Ju. Uh, you know, coached there for two years. I got hired on at Hilliard, and you know turned the program around. Had four straight playoff appearances, and you know I got blessed to get this job. And I you know I thank the good Lord for giving me a chance, and I'm I'm ready to get to work, ready to be a warrior. You know, certainly uh, Coach Armstrong, the job he did out there was very good at West Nassau. Uh, so you're replacing a guy that was there almost a decade, I believe, as a head coach there at West Nassau. What's your philosophy? What are you going to bring to the program? What kind of stamp do you want to put on West Nassau football? Well, the stamp I'm going to bring is we're going to outwork everyone. You know, I was you know a player. I you know I wasn't the biggest person in the world, but I outwork you, and that's the that's the stamp I'm going to bring at West Nassau. You know, we may not be the most talented team, but we're going to be the best team because we're going to outwork people. Gunnar Cox, the brand-new head coach of West Nassau, here with us on the high school spotlight on 1010XL in Jacksonville. Coach, as I said, you're a pretty young guy, right? If I had to guess, I'd say you're probably still in your late 20s or at most your early 30s. I mean, when did you realize that you wanted a career as a head coach? Well, I think it was just the main thing of just playing back in football when I've been little, you know. I, I love this game. This game has taught me, you know, a lot of lessons. And, you know, I remember in high school when, you know, Coach Ramsey asked me what I want to do. I'm like, Coach, I want to do what you're doing. I want to coach football because, you know, to me, it's it's the greatest gig in the world. You know, uh, to me, I, I love to show up to work every day. You know, I'm not one of those people sitting at a desk, you know, hate their life because I love football. And, and I know, you know, I'm, you know, my age, you know, some people think I'm a little long, uh, younger, but, you know, I've been in football for the past 20 years you know playing and all that stuff you know I've learned for everything so I know that's going to help me out I know you know I'm a little bit younger but you know what you know that's the way the NFL is going they're hiring you know younger coaches and all that stuff because that's the you know that's the way to go and so I'm just you know excited ready to get to work you know and, and you talk about the excitement you're in the unique position where you played your high school ball at Uly, so you got Uly Hornet blood running through your veins Yet all of a sudden, you're the head coach of one of Uly's biggest rivals now in West Nassau. What's that transition been like here for you? Oh, I mean, it, it, it's going to be you know big because you know I you know 
I personally played in that rivalry, and I know how that, you know, that game gets, and it, it's a great rivalry. You know, now it's – instead of wearing green and gold, now I'm wearing, you know, the garnet and gold, and, and you know, I have the warrior emblem. But, you know, I'm, I'm excited. I've I told people before this is a job I've always wanted. I think this is one of the best jobs in the local area, and I'm, you know, I'm just ready to get excited to get to work. A couple of more for Gunnar Cox, the brand-new head coach of West Nassau High School. You mentioned Bobby Ramsey, who you played for. There at Uly, we know the success Coach Ramsey had at Uly, then going on to Mandarin to win a state championship. What did Coach Ramsey teach you, and, and what guidance has he provided you through your career to this point? I think the main thing he told me to be is be a student of the game. You know, you're always trying to learn. You know, I've always had people say, are you an offensive, defensive-minded coach? Well, in reality, I'm a football guy. you got to learn both sides of the ball. And, you know, if you want to be a really good defense, well, you got to really learn how offenses works and vice versa. So just being a, a student of the game and just trying to learn every single little detail that you can get. You know, we spend so much time talking about Duval and St. John's County, certainly uh, Clay County. Well, up in Nassau County, they play solid football as well. You played at Uly. You're now the coach of West Nassau. What do you want people to know about Nassau County football? Well, they're going to learn that, you know, we're going to, you know, we're a hardworking team and, you know, we're going to, we're going to outwork people and that we're going to, you know, try to win as many games as possible. And, you know, like I want people, you know, when they watch us, you know, be like, man, that team just plays hard and that team's just very physical and they're very disciplined. And I think, you know, that's what people need to learn with, you know, you know, with the Nassau County that we're going to play hard. We're going to play physical. You were hired on last week officially. I know you're kind of getting things going now. What's the plan for the next couple of weeks as far as assembling a staff? Because spring ball will be here before you know it. What do you hope to accomplish here in the next month or so? Well, I think the main thing I want to accomplish, I want to get to know my players. You know, I told – I've already met a couple of the players. You know, I went to the girls' weightlifting meet, and they were working the girls' weightlifting meet at West Nassau. So I already got met some of them. But, you know, get to know them. You know, hey, you know. Hi, what do you like? You know, do you love football? Uh, do you want to go play college football? You know, what position would you like to play? And vice versa, they need to get to know me. You know, I'm a new face to them. And try to get the guys, you know, get the, you know, make sure they're in the weight room, which they're already doing a great job of the guys in the weight room. I think they already got 50-plus in the weight room right now. You know, trying to, you know, get more, you know, organized, you know, so start getting learned the playbook and everything so then when spring football hits, we can hit it running. You know, final moments here with Gunnar Cox, the brand-new head coach of West Nassau. How good does that sound, the head coach of West Nassau? That's got to have a nice ring to it for you. It's got a very nice ring to it. You know, I've already got people, you know, call me, man, hey, you're the new big head shot. And so, uh, it's you know, it's always what I want to do. It's always been my passion. I just, you know, I just love football. And, you know, I'm, I'm just ready to get to work, and I know I could do great things at this school. Coach, you sound like you're fired up. We're fired up for you. The Friday night lights will be shining before we know it. I have no doubt we'll be talking to you many times this upcoming season. Congratulations. Best of luck out there at West Nassau High School, and we'll be watching. Thank you. Thank you. Hopefully I'll be on the air telling you uh, about our victories on Friday night. And thank you again to Gunnar Cox, the brand-new head coach at West Nassau High School, for joining us tonight here on the High School Spotlight. There is another new head coach, although a guy that's been a head coach in the area in the past. That is at Keystone Heights High School. My friend Steve Reynolds back in the head coaching ranks again, and he joins us here on 1010XL. Coach, congratulations. Thank you very much. Thanks for thanks for having me on. Hey, Coach, always appreciate the time. 
All right, you were the coordinator out at Keystone for, what, three years, I believe, and now you take over the head coaching job out there. Another head coaching job for you. Your previous stops were Bradford and at Oakleaf, certainly. Uh, how excited are you for this opportunity? Well, uh, I'm, I'm fired up, man. It's a, it's a great place. I love working here. Uh, we've had some success on the football field uh, with a big season in 21, and uh, we've had a lot of success in with our boys weightlifting team over the last, you know, two two years. This is my third year now, and um, things are really doing going well and looking trending in the right direction. And uh, man, it's great. I live, you know, live right down the street. My wife's from here. Um, I've lived here for years, uh, even back when I worked at Oakleaf. Uh, so it's just a tremendous, very supportive community. Um, and I'm really excited about the foundation that coach Dickinson has laid. And I get to build off that man. Steve Reynolds, the brand new head coach at Keystone Heights. You mentioned coach Dickinson, what 24 years, I believe on the sidelines for him out there at Keystone. Uh, what was it like to, to work for him on his staff and, and to get to know a guy that had that sort of longevity in our area? Well, it was uh, an absolute pleasure, really. Um, I've known Coach Dickinson since I was 15 years old. He, I met him at a weightlifting meet when I was in high school. And, you know, ever since then, he was always super positive and cordial and, you know, um, just a great relationship builder. Um, I'll tell you, I've learned a lot about patience from him, uh, you know, how to manage – uh, a program that's a three-tier system that includes a junior high program, uh, which was a new experience for me. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's really been a pleasure. Yeah. 30, uh, 35 years total coaching at Keystone and 24 as the head coach is pretty impressive at one place. Yeah. That's unbelievable. You just don't see that very often. Steve Reynolds is the brand new head coach of Keystone coach. You as a, as a coach say where you were at Oakleaf, uh, some years back now to where you are now as the brand new head coach at Keystone, things that you're going to try differently, things you've learned over the years since, how would you assess yourself as a head coach now compared to where you were at Oakleaf? Well, I, you know, I try to improve in anything I do year to year, day to day. Um, I would feel like, I feel like I'm in a lot better shape to, you know, manage a big program, um, you know, when I was at Oakley the first time, it was we had 120 kids the first time I had to manage that many uh, in one program. So it was a new experience. I've got, you know, I've had a lot of experiences since then that's prepared me for this. And, um, you know, some some things that I, you know, I'll, I'll try to continue is our off the field stuff, our relationship building. Um, that stuff's going to I'm going to try to keep that going. Um you know, we're having a Super Bowl party with the players and lifters at, at my house this year. So we've done that for the last two years. So stuff like that, uh, that, that I get to do uh, being embedded in the community is what's really exciting. You know, you're in one of those districts that's a lot of fun, right? Because you got an up-and-coming program at Decoy Creek. I believe, what, Bradford is a part of that. We know how good they have been. Palatka had a great turnaround year this past season. I mean, clearly a lot of good rivalries and a lot of really good teams in that district. Absolutely. You know, you got your your natural geographic rivalries in, in Bradford and uh, and Palatka. Um, and then to Creek, you know, we um, 
we played them their first year and then the improvements that they've made uh, since then has been really impressive. So yeah, it's a, it's a very, very tough district to get out of. You know, you're in the unique position against Steve Reynolds, the brand new head coach at Keystone Heights. You're in the unique position being on the staff. So you don't have near the job ahead of you that a guy coming in uh, to a brand new program would have, but what's the transition been like? Obviously three years on that staff. Now you assume the head coaching role. Is it business as usual? Or are you going to change some things up? What's your thought process there? Well, a little bit of both. Um, and you're right. Somebody coming into a new program is going to have to set expectations and um, get kids working out in the off season. And we, have done a tremendous job of that already. Our, our head weightlifting coach, Lance Lowry, um, has just built such a t- tradition that kids at our school in all sports understand the value of strength training in their off season and in season. So that's kind of established. It's been really a huge benefit. Whereas other places I had to establish that myself. Um, but there's, yeah, we're going through some changes. We're upgrading and updating some facilities. We're, um, you know, looking at some different uniform agreements. We're looking at, uh, you know, we've got some new equipment coming. So, so a lot of changes, uh, but still some, you know, some very good carryover from what we've done before. Coach, final question. What, and, you know, shame on us, and this will no longer be the case because we will have you on, but maybe we haven't covered Keystone Heights as much as we probably should have in years past. What do you want people that are listening tonight to know about Keystone Heights high school football? Well, I'll tell you, Keystone Heights high school football is a physical blue-collar brand of football. Um, the – Young men in this program work so very hard and the attention to detail that they're ready and willing to put in, um, whether that be in their off-season training or preparing for a game, the kids, the expectations of of preparing and and what that's supposed to look like is, you know, Coach Dickinson has done a tremendous job laying that foundation. So I think, um, you know, when people think about Keystone Heights football, I think they're, they're going to think about a physical, tough, hard-nosed group of players that's going to play as hard as they can for 48 minutes. Steve Reynolds, the brand-new head coach at Keystone Heights High School. Coach, congratulations. Best of luck as you uh, move forward into spring ball here in a couple of months, and I have no doubt we'll be talking to you very soon under the Friday Night Lights. Thank you, Coach. Yes, sir. Thanks again. Appreciate what you do for high school football. And there you go, Steve Reynolds, the head coach of Keystone Heights High School, for joining us tonight here on the High School Spotlight on Hacker After Dark. A lot of the head coaching openings in Northeast Florida have been filled in the recent days and weeks, and we were glad we could bring you a couple of the new head coaches tonight. Steve Reynolds takes over uh, Keystone Heights program that he's been at for the last three years. Of course, Steve was a former head coach in the area uh, most recently at Oakleaf there in Clay County. And Gunnar Cox, the brand-new head coach at West Nassau High School, was glad I was able to talk with him here tonight on the high school spotlight as well as both guys look to get going with their programs. Uh, conditioning underway. Look, high school football has turned into really a 365-day job uh, for both coaches and players. 
conditioning well underway, and it will not be long until spring football arrives at high school campuses all over Northeast Florida. Well, that'll just about wrap it up for a very busy Tuesday night edition of Hacker After Dark. Thank you guys for staying up late with us tonight. Again, Gunnar Cox of West Nassau, Steve Reynolds of Keystone Heights on the high school spotlight. Thank you to Brian Toporek of Bleacher Report and Forbes talking a little association. The NBA, most teams over 50 games into their regular season. The all-star break on the horizon. The trade deadline on the horizon. I know a lot of sports fans now that the NFL is winding down. I'll begin shifting your focus a little bit to what's going on in the NBA and uh, it's getting good, no question, in both the Western Conference and Eastern Conference. In our number one, you heard Brent Beard. Love talking college football with my buddy Brent Beard. You see him locally on First Coast News. You also get him right here on Hacker After Dark. And Dave Campo, former head coach of the Dallas Cowboys. We brought you a Hacker After Dark replay, and we were glad to be able to do that tonight here on 1010XL and 92. Point five FM. We will be back tomorrow night at 8 o'clock, and we will do it all over again. Dylan Denmark was your producer tonight. Dylan, great job as always. I'm the hacker Ryan Green. And Jacksonville, thank you again for staying up late with us every Tuesday from 10 to midnight right here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM. So for all of us here on HAD, have an absolutely terrific remainder of your Tuesday evening, and we will talk to you tomorrow night on a Wednesday beginning at 8 o'clock. Until then, good night, Jacksonville.